0: Welcome to the Cannabis 101 podcast, your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. Here's your host, Dean Millard.
1: Hello there and welcome to episode 56 of the Cannabis 101 podcast. My name is Dean Millard and our motto on this show is it's not just about getting high, it's about getting healthy. And we've got a fun show lined up for you, but we always have to start things off in a traditional way.
2: Put that in your pipe and smoke it.
1: Can you dig it? It kind of grabs you by the booboo, going don't it?
3: Pipe in a grape, bong in a blink. This is great. This is the bee's knees. And you dig it! Yeah.
1: So I want to know, what's your groove? As you're listening to this, are you grooving with anything when it comes to cannabis? Maybe you have a joint? Uh, maybe you have uh, a, a bong. I don't know. um you're you're welcome to do anything. You mind if I do? Jay? Yeah, you can do anything you want, uh, really, um as long as you're not driving.
2: Pipe and a grape, bong and a blitz.
1: So whatever you're going with, maybe you've got some nice uh, just a nice CBD blend uh, or some oil that uh, just relaxes you a little bit. Whatever you're grooving with, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, at The Cannabis 101. Uh, that's our uh, Twitter handle, at The Cannabis 101 Podcast on Instagram and uh, Facebook. But let me know what you're grooving with. You can always email me, too, at Cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. Uh, there's a lot of people that actually email that are not comfortable, or maybe their boss is not comfortable with them publicly uh, discussing cannabis on social media. So they email me. So you can do that as well. Cannabis 101 podcast at gmail.com. So what's your groove? Let me know what it is and tell me where you're listening from. I love to hear from where people are listening and kind of what the cannabis scene is there. I'm, I'm from Manitoba originally, and, and I've only seen the cannabis scene in Winnipeg. Uh, and it's, uh, and, and I only saw it in November for like two days. But I'm driving back uh, to Manitoba uh, this summer, and I'm really interested to see what the cannabis scene in Saskatchewan is because I've heard a lot about it. I'm going to talk a little bit about that with uh, our guest today. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But my groove is a little Rio Bravo by Edison. Um, some earthiness, spice to the spice to the taste. Uh, there's a little similarity uh, to Jack Herrera uh, as well from uh, people I've uh, uh, chatted with uh, in the cannabis industry and. I'm a sucker for uh, marketing. This was the first legal strain I brought because I'm a Western fan, and Rio Bravo is a pretty good Western movie. So I'm going to get my groove on with a little uh, Rio Bravo. I love the little spice. My good friend, uh, Carrie Lee. Or however you pronounce it. I, I don't think I pronounce it uh, correctly, but it's delicious. What are you people on dope? Uh, well, yeah, if, uh, if that's what you're calling it, I saw a great thing on uh, Facebook that I took and put on Instagram. Uh, somebody had put it up on Facebook and one of the cannabis groups I'm in and it said, quit calling it a drug. Uh, it's not something that is made in a laboratory which I a hundred percent agree with. And it said, uh, not, so it says stop calling marijuana a drug. Drugs come from laboratories, not mother nature's sweet, bountiful vagina. Does that word make you uncomfortable? Jeffrey vagina, a little big Lebowski, uh, flashback there. So anyway, now that I got my groove on, let's set up the show. Here's what's coming down the hash pipe on this episode. Chris Lavoie is with can delta consulting we're going to chat with him about some of the pitfalls that retail outlets have fallen into and some of uh, the hurdles that they've overcome and successes that they've had as well as the differences across the province big thing right now is what's going on in ontario with delivery we're also going to chat with Malcolm labelle from the green generation co on the business of cannabis about that very topic david wiley from the oz will drop by for this week in cannabis news cancer killer cannabis those three words sound so good together, a, a cancer killing cannabis strain. How would you like to hear about that? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. And some NBA players, probably a lot of them getting high in the bubble, literally sneaking weed in because the NBA is not testing for recreational drugs. They're basically saying finally, uh, yeah, you're in a bubble people. Uh, some of these players use it for recovery, some for mental health. So boom. There's a lot of NBA players. It's been, weed in uh, the NBA bubble is basically Fight Club, and Chris Ianson from Nova Cannabis on Jasper Ave will be by for what's that strain? Granddaddy Purple today from 48 North. Uh, if you've ever had some Granddaddy Perps, you'll know it is pretty legendary. Uh, the cannabis question will be about uh, COVID 19's impact on your cannabis use, and we'll tell you how you can subscribe to the Weed Weekly. Uh, which I unfortunately have been slacking on. I was on vacation. So apologize for those subscribers of the week. Weed weekly. I've been, uh, tied up, uh, and on vacation, we'll get one out, uh, at the end of this week for sure. So you can sign up, but we'll tell you all about that as we go, but let's get into the show right now with the cannabis question.
0: It's prize time. Chime in on the cannabis question. Applause. And you could win a cannabis 101 podcast prize pack. Quite a grape, bong and a blint. Hit us up on any of our social media feeds. Or email us at cannabis101podcast at gmail.com.
4: Okay, here we go.
1: Cannabis question on this episode is how has your consumption been impacted through COVID-19 or has it? Your choices are it's increased, it's decreased, or it's stayed the same. You can have your vote uh, at the Cannabis 101 on Twitter. 50% say it's increased, 10% decrease, and 40% have said, uh, it has stayed the same, which is good to know. Um, you know, it's, uh, you, 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 the, the, certainly the one thing you want to be careful of is responsibility and cannabis and, um, you know, listen, I've, uh, I've been there where, um, when you don't, if you're not working and, and you're, you're kind of stuck at home, there's not a lot to do. You can find yourself, um, uh, you know, falling into a, a bit of a, ba- a bad habit routine where. All you do is sit around and consume cannabis. So certainly you have to be careful. Cannabis is wonderful. Now it's not for everybody and that's fine. Uh, There are people that it's not going to work with for, um, you know, uh, I guess health reasons, uh, pre-existing conditions that maybe do not mix with cannabis or maybe just some people, it's just not for them. They just don't, they just don't want to feel any of the psychoactives or maybe they, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, cannabis isn't for anybody. That's fine but it can be for a lot of people in this time that we're in right now though we do have to be careful that uh, we're using it responsible because eventually you know if you're in a situation where you're not working eventually you're going to get back to working and we don't want to get into the routine of um being overdoing your cannabis use so um you know increase an increase in your cannabis use i'm not saying that's a bad thing but a severe increase then certainly you would be concerned. Um, you know, the for the best answer that I'd like to have, and for me, it's it stayed the same, my, my cannabis use. Now, I work from home, so it hasn't been a terrible impact on things like that. COVID-19 has certainly had an impact on my life, uh, but not an increase on uh, my cannabis use. So hit me up on Twitter at the Cannabis 101 or email me Cannabis101podcast at gmail.com as, uh, every response goes in the draw and you can win anonymously. We have several people last week, uh, the person won anonymously, actually. Uh, so, uh, if, if you feel like just emailing with your answer and you want to win a cannabis one-on-one prize pack, please, please do that. As for what pairs well with cannabis, that is anything that goes well with cannabis and I know exact from personal experience from last week that riding out a storm. Uh, is almost a necessity for me when it comes to, uh, cannabis, uh, man, I was caught in, I was camping out at Miquelon and I was caught in that crazy. If you're in the Edmonton area, thunder, lightning storm that rolled through on Thursday, I had this great tarp city set up around my uh, tent. And I was going to be able to sit on my fire pit and just watch the rain if it happened. And basically the wind took my tarps and turned it into that parachute game when you were in that kindergarten, because it threw it way up in the air and I knew I was in trouble. So I had to rip everything down quickly, put a bunch of stuff away, jump into the tent and ride out the storm and I, had some Maui Wowie and some other uh, great strains, and basically hot boxed in my tent. So uh, cannabis definitely for me was important in riding out that storm and in uh, you know relaxing me. And and I had some uh, some really uh, nice uh, relaxing uh, indica strains. Uh, it was just a it was just a really good way to spend a scary time. Um, I thought maybe I should have been in the car or something, but with my tent, it's lucky I was there. If I wasn't in the tent doing a bunch of things, trying to pool off water, I would have been sleeping in three feet of water. So it was necessary for me to be in that tent and hot boxing with a great strain that put me in a good mood despite the thunder and lightning. Yeah, that paired well uh, with cannabis. All right, I told you about the Weed Weekly. You can get the latest on what's happening with the Cannabis 101 podcast by subscribing to The Weed Weekly at Cannabis101podcast.ca. If you sign up, you're in the mix for our monthly prize pack, but only for subscribers. So tell your friends. It's also an easy way to keep up to date with, hopefully, what is uh, one of your favorite cannabis podcasts. All right, Chris Lavoie from CanDelta Consulting on the other side of The Weed Song from the artist My Dead Dog.
4: this
0: This is the Cannabis 101 Podcast, your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond.
1: Very excited to chat with the director of provincial licensing with Candelta Consulting, Chris Lavoie, is joining me on the show today. Chris, thanks very much for being a part of the program. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Not a problem. Uh, I always like to to start with this question with uh, all of my cannabis guests because. Uh, For the most part, most of us did something before uh, we got into the uh, cannabis uh, space. Uh, So, I I guess, what was your career before cannabis?
5: Yeah, so for me, like a lot of people in the cannabis industry, uh, I did something very different. So, I uh, I was in science. I was in research. I did a PhD in organic chemistry. Uh, I grew up in Nova Scotia. That's where I did all my grad studies. And then after my PhD, I did a postdoctoral fellowship, which is basically the same as a medical residency, and I did that in California at the California Institute of Technology, and uh, and that was a great time. Obviously, I love California, I love the research. But about uh, halfway through my first year there, I started to become interested in, in getting out of academia and then looking for a, a career that would be somewhat at the intersection of science, business, human health. Um, and in searching for jobs I ultimately identified consulting and then specifically this cannabis consulting opportunity came up with CanDelta, where I'm at now. And just through the conversation with the founders of that company, um, it just became clear that this was, you know, an incredibly exciting opportunity to be a part of, you know, brand new sector of our economy, which is, you know, might might happen once in your lifetime. And uh, as a cannabis consumer myself, it, um, it just seemed like a natural fit. And so um, I've been there for seven months now, and it's been incredible to help new businesses in the cannabis arena launch their companies and, and grow. So, yeah, it's been
1: fantastic. Well, you're right. Uh, this is uh, literally once-in-a-lifetime Event happening uh, over the past few years with the uh, legalization of cannabis across the country. So, was 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 there anything to do with cannabis in in your PhD work?
5: No, no except for what I would be doing to get through the PhD in my <laughs> spare time, right? With some with some of my buddies to, to get through all those long long hours and all that thesis writing. But uh, no, there really wasn't uh, any formal aspect of cannabis in any of my research. What I had done was I I basically developed these reactions or tools that uh, chemists and pharma could use to, to basically streamline the, the synthesis of drugs in a, in a cheaper and, and safer way. So, uh, basically, helping out med chemists, but uh, no cannabis relation at all.
1: So, when did cannabis become part of your personal life and why?
5: Yeah, so I first tried it when I was in high school, uh, and I'd probably only done it less than five times up until the time I was 21. And then uh i moved into basically a frat house with a couple of my buddies and uh, they were all pretty regular consumers and uh i always told them you know i was in sciences and i was trying to get straight a's and i told them i was like guys like i'm gonna move in with you but um you know better not peer pressure me into this and, and they're like oh yeah sure sure chris no worries and uh sure enough you know just uh, after enough time i kind of got into it and um, as a science student who was always stressed out studying all the time, I found it was a, a great relaxation tool for me when, you know, if used, you know, in a moderate amount. And so I really enjoyed the, the benefits from it. And yeah, that was when I was 21, and I'm 28 now. And I've basically used it uh, to varying degrees over the last seven years. Um, yeah, and it's been great.
1: Uh, 100% when used responsibly, cannabis can be, uh, a healer and it could be a motivator. It can be stimulator. It can be a lot of different things for different people when, when you can really zero in on things. So I, before we get into, uh, Canada, what was the California cannabis scene like while you were there? Because I've always heard legendary stories and they've kind of been like on the forefront of, of, uh, medical cannabis anyway, but you know, what was it like then?
5: Yeah, so I was in California in all of 2019, basically, and very different than in Canada. the The legal cannabis retail framework really wasn't established at all, so you know, I really had to resort on going to uh, illicit dispensaries. Um, so, and but there were many of those available. So I lived in Pasadena, which is just outside of Los Angeles, and there were dozens and dozens of these uh, illegal dispensaries. But um but on the, you know, they, they all sold, you know, top quality, um, you know, cannabis. And so everything you've ever heard about how good the quality is there is, is absolutely true. Um, if you've ever been to British Columbia, obviously they're famous for, for great cannabis, um, which I have definitely can attest to. And I would say California is right up there with that. Uh, right. And in terms of the culture, yeah, it's just what I find there is is people just use it it's just a natural part of their lifestyle right like you'll find people from all walks of life they use it they don't seem to abuse it much like people growing up in europe don't tend to abuse alcohol it seems as much because they learn to respect it at a younger age, that very much seems to be the case in California as well.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting observation. So, um, you 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 mentioned that uh, this opportunity came up, and you know, what was it like uh, getting into that uh, cannabis industry? Uh, I think you said uh, it's been about uh, seven months, but what was it like uh, saying, like, wow, I am actually in an industry that, growing up, I was told was illegal and bad. It's just such a, it's it's such a, a <laughs> a beautiful uh, contrast from, you know, it was once illegal and now it's essential.
5: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, For me, there was so much un- unknown to it. So obviously I was very familiar with cannabis itself, but I had no, you know, understanding of the, the legal framework established in Canada. Um, and so when I was, you know, applying for this job, uh, you know, I'd spoken with the, the leading team. And unfortunately, the, everyone I work with um, our graduate level scientists. So our uh, our two founders have PhDs in chemistry, and then uh, many of the associates that I work with um, also have PhDs or master's degrees. So we kind of all spoke the same language. And that gave me confidence that I didn't necessarily need to have a business background, or even a consulting background to get into this space. Um, but all the skills that I had developed through my graduate training had really prepared me for this. And it just really came down to just putting my head in the books and just understanding the The legal framework, the licensing framework, understanding, you know, how these small to medium businesses are going to establish themselves. So it's been a whirlwind of learning, but um, it's been an incredible journey. And and what you can definitely appreciate as well is just how friendly and supportive everyone is in the industry. Um, So, you know, even people who would be in direct competition with one another. So that's definitely fostered my, my learning process so much faster.
1: Yeah. Everybody seems to want to help the industry grow. Um, you know, you, nobody's, uh, specifically out, uh, you know, pumping, uh, the competitors tires, but they're not slashing no, yeah. the tires either. Right. So exactly. we, we all want to get this industry going, uh, to where it might be. So l- let's talk a little bit about, you know, what you're doing now, what, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, what is uh, Candelta Consulting?
5: Yeah, absolutely. So by and large, we're a, a licensing consulting firm. So we help uh, cannabis businesses across Canada, both at the federal and provincial level. So for instance, if you're a, you are you want to be a licensed producer um, to do cultivation or processing anywhere in Canada, we're going to support your full full licensing application from day one until the, the day that you get your license from Health Canada. Um, and so we'll work with those. Those applicants will will basically get all their information and documentation in, in line. We'll do security designs. We'll help them develop solid business plans. Um, and then we'll manage that application through the submission to Health Canada. And then also we focus uh, a lot on pr- provincial licensing as well for cannabis retail stores. And that's where I mostly specialize in. And so for that, very similar, we're handling their licensing application. But Um, we're not just interested in getting companies licensed and saying okay we're done with you good luck we really want to help them build robust strong foundations so they're set up for success afterwards so we'll be involved with essentially everything helping them find a good location which is of course critical in what's becoming a crowded market we'll help them with business plans we'll help them be put in touch with investors and, and and banks that will actually take on cannabis businesses which is difficult um, you know, we'll provide them with SOPs. So their, their staff are trained to, to do all the aspects of the store, um, job hiring, really, you name it, we're, we're helping clients with it. So it's, it's been remarkable for me to, you know, be engaging with these clients who are, are a lot of the time brand new business owners and, you know, they're nervous, you know, they throw a lot of money at something that's, that's, you know, relatively risky and to see them grow, to the point where they're they're starting a company and ultimately opening their doors to customers, of which I love to be, you know, one of the first customers for. It's been uh, it's been very rewarding. Um, so that's that's in a nutshell what Can Delta is. We we support cannabis companies across Canada, both at the federal and provincial level. But um, we also do a lot of other things like uh, technology compliance, um, packaging and labeling reviews. So that's a huge thing. Um, so yeah, we, we like to say we're pretty adaptive. And the science background that I mentioned that we all have um, really comes into play for more sophisticated aspects of the cannabis operation. So, um, say you're, you know, you're you're doing a distillation, and your your head of um, processing wants to speak with us. Those are conversations that we can have um, because we do have that science background.
1: Hmm. One of the things that you mentioned that really caught my ear was, uh, you know, banks or financial institutions those aren't readily easily available to find uh, in in these days of uh, the brand new days of cannabis legalization are they
5: oh absolutely not so it's and it's getting a little bit better but uh, certainly in the earlier days which would be in the matter of you know a few years ago banks were turning people away left right and center it's just you know it's a big slight risk for them and so a lot of the major banks still to this day won't take on cannabis businesses both at the provincial and federal level Um, and if they are you're going to need to come prepared you're going to need to be pretty deep in the licensing process you're going to need to have a full-fledged business plan you're going to need to have say working with consultants such as can delta i mean this is all you know to be expected but it's just the expectations for cannabis companies are much greater than they would be say for another non-cannabis related company um, which places a lot of uh, challenges on them but there are a number of of solutions available so one popular bank is Alterna Bank um, they specialize in cannabis across Canada right so there's um, there's a number of growing solutions in that regard but definitely not easy
1: yeah well that's good that it's starting to uh, open up a, a little bit more in that regard the the retail cannabis world which you specialize in changes quite a bit as you drive across the country is that a good thing that each province is different or you know do you think it should be streamlined
5: yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. I think I think it is a good thing that, that each province has their own spin on things. Um, now, each province has federal guidelines that they need to follow sure. um, in accordance with the Cannabis License Act and the Cannabis Control Act, but each provincial government is empowered to have control over, you know, how they essentially sell and distribute cannabis. And so um, it definitely prevents, um, you know, a uniform stream, as you had mentioned, but uh, it also allows provinces to do things how they want so you know Ontario for example it has private retail but then they also have the the public or government run OCS and then Quebec is strictly government run as is Nova Scotia Saskatchewan's a little bit of a mixed bag so yeah it's hard to say if it's a bad thing but um, I think it's just uh, unrealistic to say that the whole country is going to abide by the same rules so for instance in Nova Scotia they can't you know, they can't open it up to private. There's only 13 retail stores that are government run in Nova Scotia and you can't open it up to private because, you know, you probably only be allowed to open up maybe three or four. And how do you decide that? Right. So I think it's hard to to make it uniform across the country.
1: Is Do you think there is, you know, one province that is uh, head and shoulders uh, above, above anybody else? You mentioned Saskatchewan. I've heard some really interesting things about Saskatchewan about, you know, it's, uh, you know, in, in terms of good things for the consumer as, as far as uh, some of the, the prices and things like that, um, you know, is there one province that's doing it better than others?
5: Yeah, so it's a good point you mentioned Saskatchewan. I, I personally think Saskatchewan's uh, one of the better provinces across the country in terms of how they're handling all of it. As a matter of fact, uh, you can even apply to be a whole, wholesale distributor in Saskatchewan. Um, you can open up a, a brick and mortar store and, and sell your own cannabis, but you can also um, receive cannabis directly from a federally licensed uh, producer and then have your own wholesale distribution center, um, which would be unfathomable in wow. Ontario because wow. because the Ontario because the Ontario cannabis store um, has that stranglehold on that monopoly. So Saskatchewan is definitely huge. but um, yeah, in terms of defining better, the major goal of legalization, is to provide can- Canadians with access to legally sourced uh, cannabis products. So in that sense, the best province would be the one with the most stores per capita mm-hmm. and have the lowest market share owned by the illicit market. And so in that regard, Ontario would be doing terrible um, because we have, you know, just about a about hundred stores. We have 15 million people. The latest projection said that the black market was over 80% still Um so, you know, Ontario, you would say, is not doing well. But then provinces like Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Saskatchewan, um, they're doing much better with those key metrics. So, yeah, there's definitely a, a disparity in terms of who's doing well and who's not doing well.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested. I'm I'm going to head back home to Manitoba here in the next little while. And I, I'm, I can't wait to stop at a few cannabis shops in Saskatchewan and just to, you know, kind of see what that's like. What's your thought process on Alberta? Um, you know, here we are, kind of the... The Wild West, with uh, you know, I think there's about 20 million stores now in this province, or something. It's just, it's crazy, (laughs) you know. I talked to I talked to people that opened up their stores that thought it was going to be capped, you know, a hundred stores ago, and and I don't even Mm -hmm. know what the total is now. We're over 400, I think, right?
5: Yeah, it's close to 500. I think it's 470 or so. So yeah, Alberta is a great case study for where Alberta, or sorry, where Ontario is heading. So Ontario's threshold is predicted to be around 1500 or so in terms of that's the saturation mark obviously we have a lot more people here than Alberta right. and so Alberta is basically reached recent saturation point it's it's a basically the uh, you know the, the Washington of, uh, of of Canada essentially but um, yeah and no, Alberta is tough we we have some clients come or prospective clients come to us and they want to set up shop uh, but they just can't find anywhere to situate themselves that really isn't dominated by say five or seven other stores within a few blocks Um, so yeah, Alberta is tough. Um, Ontario could be heading in the same direction in a few years in terms of that saturation mark, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's tough there.
1: It's interesting. Some of you go into some of these small towns and there's, there's, you know, five cannabis stores and and there's a population of like 5,000 people. Uh, so it's kind of interesting The the thing about Ontario that, um, you know, I just, I'm I'm wondering what's gonna happen is the delivery situation. I mean, it, it was right. allowed during COVID. I th- I think it's just a great, you know, it, the, the the one of the fastest growing demographics in cannabis is seniors. And what are they telling right. seniors during COVID? Stay home. Well, a lot of seniors want to get their cannabis, delivery is the option. What do you think is going to happen? It, there seems to be a lot, some flip-flopping, and I, I don't, I don't know what the outcome is, but I, I know that delivery should be offered, uh, uh, you know, and I hope other provinces look at it. What do you think happens with this?
5: Yeah, so that's a great point, uh, particularly like the uh, the point about seniors, and so yeah, a number of other provinces such as Alberta, they very much allow for retailers, private or otherwise, to do delivery. So Ontario, um, the only store that's allowed to do delivery um, is the Ontario Cannabis Store, which is the wholesale distributor um, to all the private retailers. And they have the only online store. Um, but for COVID, they um, they essentially allowed private retailers to start selling online and then doing home deliveries. And so um, just like cannabis businesses always do, they are resilient and, and thrive when, when needed to. And so within a matter of days, private retail companies were putting together Putting together full fledged e commerce platforms to be able to handle uh, the online sale and and home delivery. They were hiring delivery people, getting them canceled, trained, which is the provincial uh, certification you need to even handle it. Um, And they moved very quickly and they'd they'd done exceptionally well. I really haven't heard a single um, negative incident that's happened in the last number of months. And the the expectation was that they basically, based on good behavior um, and proof of how valuable this is, that it was going to be allowed to continue. Um, but however, uh, a few weeks ago, it was announced that um, once the emergency orders are lifted in Ontario, private retailers will no longer be able to to do the online and home delivery, which is devastating. Um, so the Ontario Cannabis Store is still going to be the only store that's going to be able to do that. So as you mentioned, seniors, the only way they're going to be able to get that delivered is through the OCS. But um, there's a, a growing number of regions where the OCS can't even reach in terms <laughs> of their delivery. Um, so you might just be, you know, part of my friend shit out of luck yeah. with that, unfortunately. So there's a huge push right now in terms of lobbying efforts, uh, including our companies backing it as well, to to continue to allow uh, cannabis retailers to do private, or sorry, uh, home delivery and, and online sales. But uh, it's yet to be seen if that's going to be successful.
1: Well, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. One side, they're saying stay home, seniors. The other side, they're saying cannabis is essential, but after this, it's not going to be delivered. Well, there's still a lot of seniors that are still going to be worried whenever this sort of ends. So um, I I just think you're just driving people to the black market uh, because the black market will deliver.
5: Absolutely. You hit hit it right on the head. The seniors point is one that I honestly hadn't considered, Um, but my mom's a a healthcare um, specialist with seniors. And so she would love that point. But um, yeah, to your point, the black market is going to continue to thrive. I already cited that it's, they still have over eighty percent market huh, share yeah. in Ontario alone in the last year, which is which which stunned me. So this is only going to um, serve to fuel that market as well.
1: What do you think, um, of, you know, w- w- there, there's very strict regulations and, and for good reason, uh, the federal government wants to do it a little bit of, about a time instead of letting you do everything and then taking things away, which with it, which I think is smart. So we have to, uh, be patient and, and we have seen some regulations get lifted like the, the window tinting in Alberta and things like that. So that's nice to see, but is there one regulation that is holding back the retail industry?
5: Right. So uh, in terms of regulation, I would say the ability for cannabis retailers to market and advertise their products and their store and their brand, I would say, is one thing that's particularly um, hindering. And so I understand, as many do, that there needs to be these regulations in place. You know, major goal is to prevent the diversion of cannabis into the hands of youth um, and also to drive down the illicit market. And I totally appreciate that pursuit. But at the end of the day. Um, all of these private retailers, certainly in Ontario, they're, they're all selling the same thing, right? So you have to buy all of your cannabis products that you stock in your shelves from the OTS.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: So you're more or less selling the same thing. So the only way to really differentiate yourself is you know, the product distribution you have, but also the the brand, um, your advertising, um, your, the customer environment that you're providing. And so the fact that you can't really do anything online, you can't really do any ads of any form, um, even the product packaging itself, Um, you know, it's super strict in terms of what that can look like. So it's really difficult for you to differentiate yourself from competitors, um, which uh, on the plus side has forced people to become quite creative and become a little bit more savvy than they might've otherwise come. But um, it's extremely difficult for say someone who's a, you know, doesn't have as much capital to start um, versus a, you know, a big competitor that has 10 stores and has a lot more money. Um, So the marketing and advertising, I
1: would say, is the biggest one. Yeah, and and I don't know when if that gets uh, lifted, but I would agree with you. Uh, it, it's really hard to to uh, make a go at selling something you can't tell people about. Um, the the one thing, Absolutely. yeah, the one thing I do find is that people love high THC. It seems that that's oh, yeah. what everybody is talking about, but. There we, You know, you, you fell in love with the the terpenes of of cannabis. So did I. I didn't know what a terpene was before my cannabis knowledge used to be. Here's fifty dollars, give me that bag, and I'm good, right? And then I found out what terpenes right. were, and I'm I'm blown away. What role does retail play in getting people to understand there's more than just THC?
5: Yeah, no, I love the question, and so this speaks to the the foundation of what a good retail store should look like. So. You know, a big mistake that a lot of people have made is just they've just focus on stocking their shelves with whatever, um, and then the customers will come thinking that this was just going to be a gold mine. And people have quickly learned that no, it's just because people want cannabis doesn't mean they're necessarily going to buy legal cannabis just because you make it available. And so, the retail stores that are really thriving are the ones who care about their customers. They care about what they want to consume, and they care to educate them on what they might be, you know, intending on consuming. So. You know, the great retail stores, it's a little bit difficult with COVID, but they'll have, say, sales agents on the retail floor. They'll be interacting with customers. This is especially important for older demographics who might be new users. Um, And and you're going to be speaking with them, find out what their interests are, find out in what circumstances they want to be consuming, what what are the types of benefits they want to be getting from using cannabis products. And then those sales agents should be, you know, well-versed on all of the cannabis products that the store sells. What are the effects? Uh, what are the recommended you know you know usage consumptions? Um, and they, they can educate the the customers. So to answer your question, the, the retail store plays a massive role um, in, in educating the the customers, and that's what the successful stores
1: will do. For sure, I'm um, you know uh, the the best uh, you know if, if you want to put it in context of wine, when you go into a wine store, you shouldn't feel intimidated. You should feel warmly greeted because not everybody has a sophisticated wine palette and you know you want to go in there and you 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 know if you don't know what you're looking for you want to be able to be helped and it should be the exact same thing in the cannabis space especially because it is so much newer and there's so much things so many things that you can learn and well you don't want to overload the person with the information you do want to be able to answer those questions. So, um, I, I think, uh, knowledge is it, knowledge is power as they, as they said, and, and, the, and, and that, and the power to educate people is what's going to normalize cannabis. Um, what you, you kind of mentioned about stocking the shelves and, and that's kind of one common mistake. Is there another kind of common mistake that retail stores, corporate or independent make when starting out or have made that they've had to correct?
5: Yeah. So I would think, uh. A, a bigger mistake that, that the new retailers tend to make is underestimating how much time, money, and help that they're going to need to get to the finish line. Now, it's not necessarily a, a mistake in the sense that they should have known better. It's just, it's just the, the nature of, of such a new industry. There's a lot of money that needs to go into to, you know securing a lease agreement and um, hiring staff, getting your construction and renovation done, security installations, um, the time, the, the time is a huge underestimation because the licensing process is screeching to a halt um, in a number of provinces across the country as we approach the saturation. Um, and then the amount of help you need is a big one. So, um, you know, private retailers, they need to, to secure as much help as possible. So lawyers, consultants, accountants, security experts, architects, you really can't go on your own. So. Yeah. Basically underestimating how much is needed to get you to the finish line is probably the most common mistake. And then just to tie it back to the last question, um, I would say definitely focusing too much on non customer experience related aspects of the operation. Mm. So the most successful retailers are the ones who are focusing on the customer first and then building out their brand, building out their operation based on their demographics. So, you know, for instance, if you're a, If you're a store located in downtown Toronto and there's a large youth demographic, then, you know, you don't need to necessarily build out a huge sales floor where you're going to have, you know, sales agents teaching the the customers as much because they tend to know exactly what they want. They just want to get in and out. Right. So it's really important that you know your customer demographic um, to develop your store and not the other way around.
1: Right. How about some examples of some positive steps that you've seen uh, some places take? Uh, in, in the retail space. And, you know, we talked about some, some pitfalls that maybe they fall into. What are some of the, th- the positive trends that you have seen worked out uh, for, for retail stores starting out?
5: Positive steps taken by retail stores. Um, yeah, I would definitely say their commitment um, to, you know, understanding their, their customer base is something I've touched on a couple of times here. Um, being, you know, becoming champions for their community um. So a big part of getting into the retail scene in most places is you need to secure uh, the endorsement of the community, mm-hmm. um, both um, at the usually at the municipal level. Um, and so if your store is rejected by the municipality, then you're just sort of blocked. And so the best stores are the ones that are, are, you know, committing to being a, a key player in that community, educating, um, you know, people on the, you know, the safe consumption of cannabis. And that really just, you know, spins a positive light on their entire operation. So, yeah, the, the positive steps, I would say, are the ones that are embracing their presence in the community. They're recognizing that there's a lot of people in that community who might oppose a cannabis shop going up there. If it's, say, close to a school or a public park or it's highly residential, and they acknowledge that. And then they take all the steps they can to um, you know, basically alleviate those concerns and show people how committed they are to running a, a, you know a successful business that educates people on safe consumption. I think those are some of the positive steps that we've been seeing.
1: I think that's a great point. I, I, uh, recently had last week I had, uh, uh Daniel Nguyen, who is the owner of Numo cannabis, uh, three stores here in, in Edmonton. And, and he talked a lot about that. Uh, you know, one of his stores was, uh, in, in Chinatown and he really ingratiated into the community. Another one is on 124th street in Edmonton, which is a, a very arts, uh, a, an art community and they made a, a right. like a community alley. And I, I think that's so important is that there are people that might not want their business to be near a cannabis store because they, they, what they think of a cannabis store is back alley paper bags. They don't realize that it's bright, beautiful lights and some beautiful art and lots of different things that go into a cannabis store. So making sure that you let your community know that, Hey, this is going to be a a value to this community is so important.
5: Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and, you know, a lot of new biz- or businesses that are existing in the area are reluctant to have a cannabis shop there. But what they've become pleasantly surprised with, in, in a lot of cases, is it increases foot traffic in the area. Yeah. So, you know, if you're a store a few doors down from a cannabis shop, then you're actually going to be pretty pleasantly surprised by how much more people are passing by your store. So... Yeah, no, that's absolutely
1: true. How about the process? Um, I, I, I know you, you haven't been with uh, CanDelta since the beginning, but you know, talking to, to people that were in this, what's the process like for a cannabis retail store to open compared to those that were doing it leading up to legalization. Um, you know, it, ha- have, have the, uh, the mistakes of the past been fixed. So it's easier for future store owners.
5: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I'll use Ontario as a good example because it's perhaps the most dire um, and and, and success story of them all. So um, upon legalization, Ontario implemented what was known as the lottery era. And so they opened it up to a lottery. Anyone could apply as long as they they paid the application fee and they were going to give out 25 licenses in the beginning and then another 25. And so that was terrible. Uh, If you won the lottery, you had to prove Um, proof of credit of up to $50,000 within seven days. And so a lot of people are in and over their head at the beginning. Um, and there was just obscene expectations for these applicants to get through the finish line at the time. It was even harder to say, set up a bank account with, uh, you know, with a bank to, to get your, your banking set up. Um, was way more difficult to get investments. There was really no precedent, right? You're the first adopters. So it was really challenging for everybody. Um and now we've since in Ontario moved to what's known as the open market era which actually just started in January of 2020. So now there's no cap, there's no limit on how many stores can get licensed. Um the AGCO which is the governing body here in Ontario, um they've largely corrected a lot of their mistakes from the lottery era and it's, it's become a much smoother process. Um so I definitely give the AGCO a lot of credit for how they've, you know, acknowledged their mistakes and corrected a lot of them. So um, in Ontario, it's become quite easy to get through the licensing process as long as you have sufficient support. Um, but uh, that's not the case for all the provinces. But uh, Ontario has definitely learned a lot from that, and you I know, think the other provinces are doing the same.
1: I, I I I think it it has like those people paved the way. It's not unlike um, you know the old wagon trains hitting the Oregon Trail in the West, where you know the, the first <laughs> yeah, people exactly. to explore that. These people were literally. You know, you know, trying to figure out the rules on the fly and how it's going to work, and they were changing. So they, they literally were pioneers in the cannabis industry in Canada.
5: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I give them a ton of credit, and we've made a lot of strong connections with some of the first uh, private retailers here in Ontario, and it's just always uh, amazing to hear them speak, um, and whether in, in online or at, in public events, just because they're so knowledgeable. You can, you can see the, the war wounds that they've incurred. Um, getting to the point where they're at now. And as I mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, these people are so willing to offer up their advice. So one of my favorite retailers in Ontario is, is Stephen Fry of Sessions Cannabis, which is one of the more popular retail chains in Ontario. And uh, yeah, so he's just always willing to offer up his advice and and support for, for up and coming retailers, which I think is fantastic. You know, he is he doesn't need to give up this advice to to people who are going to be competitors of his, but um, he's he's paying it forward because he's been there, done that. Um, He's one of the earliest uh, stores in Ontario. So, you know, people like that are are huge um, for being champions in the the cannabis industry.
1: Well, let's talk about the future then. And we'll wrap up with this. What do you think is the next big thing? in cannabis, you know, we've, we saw flour and, and oil and capsules, and then we've mm-hmm. evolved to edibles and drinks and uh, extracts and thing. What do you think is the next big thing that's really going to catch people's attention?
5: Big thing. I like to think big. Um, so for this one, I'll, I'll go big. So I think three things that I think will be pretty big, not necessarily sure when they'll happen, but in the future is cannabis lounges, um, legal cannabis lounges, I think that's going to be a big one. I think um, a lot of people are pushing for that. And so to be able to have a cannabis store affiliated with the lounge or just a standalone lounge where people can go um, and they can consume their cannabis, I think that's going to be happening. Um, there's there's some of those throughout Canada already that aren't legal, but mm-hmm. I think that's going to happen. Another big one that comes to mind is home growing. Um, so every province has a different you know set of rules on how many plants you're allowed to grow. So for you know Ontario, it's four plants. I think that's going to become more popular now that seeds are being legally sold um, across the country. I think that's going to be huge. And then the third one I would say is cannabis related tourism. And so when I was in uh, San Diego, well, I was in California, uh, I came across this uh, bud and breakfast, if you will. Mm. And uh, essentially the whole thing was tailored around, uh, you know, a a cannabis related uh, stay, staycation or or vacation, if you will. And so that really, um, piqued my interest. And so I've seen a lot more of that actually happening where people are highlighting, a, uh, you know, and, and, you know, wine tours in California, they do a lot of cannabis tours. Well, they'll basically do the same type of thing, but they'll just take you to, uh, you know, to, to cultivation sites, um, et cetera. So that, I think that's going to be a big one as well.
1: I couldn't agree more. I think, uh, the, especially the lounges and the tourism cannabis resorts and, and all sorts of things like that. And, uh, people, people are going to want to travel with their cannabis. You can take up to 30 grams with you. They're, they're going to or, or get their cannabis at their resort. They want cannabis to be part of their vacations now, just like it is part of their leisure time at home. And I think that's gonna be a huge thing in the uh, the cannabis industry. Uh, by the way, you can get more information at www.candelta.com, two ends in can, so C-A-N-N-delta.com. Chris, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Chris Lavoie is the Director of Provincial Licensing with CANDELTA Consulting, www.candelta.com. Thanks for the chat, Chris, best of luck in cannabis, and we'll stay in touch.
5: Thanks so much. You have a great one.
0: This is the Cannabis 101 podcast, your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond.
1: Make sure you check out one hitters later in the week featuring Chris Lavoie. It was a, a fun, uh, educational conversation about what you should expect when you go into a retail outlet and what you should expect if you're wanting to get into opening a retail outlet. So we'll get to know. Chris's Cannabis History, you can find it and full episodes at www.cannabis101podcast.ca where you can subscribe to the Weed Weekly and qualify for our monthly giveaway.
0: What's happening? We'll tell you right now on This Week in Cannabis News.
1: David Wiley from the OZ is back with us. You can check it out at com slash OZ. And you can follow them on Twitter at OkanaganZ and at WileyWriter. David, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hello, hello.
2: I'm uh, suffering from seasonal allergies. And if coughing was awkward in the past, let me tell you, you cough in public now and yeah. heads just
1: turn. Oh, I know I, I'm a sneeze when I sneeze, I usually sneeze in sevens. So <laughs> when, when I feel a sneeze coming on, I run out of the store. Cause I don't want to freak people out. I know exactly how you feel.
2: It's true. It's, a, it's the awkward silence after.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, speaking <laughs> of uh, being in stores, um, the, the term munchies and cannabis seem to go hand in hand and it's interesting that circle K and fire and flower have a uh, partnership going on so when you get your weed you can also pick up something for your expected munchies
2: i mean it makes sense it's a, the classic next evolution to legal cannabis stores you know one-stop shop for snacks and weed really um so yeah like you said cannabis retail chain farm flower uh and circle k perhaps better known in quebec as push uh have partnered up and they've got uh, co-locations in alberta the first one uh, opens in Grand Prairie, and the second one follows in Calgary. Um, and you know, this is this is really interesting. They they say that they're pleased to be embarking on this initiative together. Um, the two are tied. So Kuchar has uh, does have an investment in Fire and Flower about twenty six million dollars into the evidence based company. Um, that gives them about ten percent stake. And they do have the option of raising its stake all the way up to fifty point one percent. So certainly there is a will there to make this succeed. And uh, the thinking is that this is just a convenient partnership uh, for people that they can go and they can pick up their flour and they can pick up their snacks. You know, people want to get a yeah slushy or some chocolate or whatever to go with it. Um, myself, I like to be prepared, so I usually have my. By uh, cupboards, pretty well stocked, um, and you know, Koochard is a big company. If you haven't heard of it, they're actually the one of the world's biggest convenience store chains. They have fifteen thousand locations hmm. across Canada and throughout the world. Um, and right now, Fire and Flower does not have fifteen thousand locations, um, but they are certainly growing across four provinces and one territory right now. So. You can see their stores in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, and the Yukon. Um, So we'll see where this goes. There's definitely opportunity as the cannabis market increases to a global level for uh, Couch to really show its influence in helping Fire and Flower grow. Strange things are afoot at the Circle
1: K. (laughs) Indeed it is. And, you know, this is the exact opposite of what we saw when cannabis stores popped up initially. I mean, there were some communities where people were petitioning against a cannabis store. I don't mm-hmm. want this in my neighborhood. And here's a business, Circle K that's saying, "Yeah, let's partner up because this this only makes sense." And you know, like in in I've been to Quebec in the convenience stores you can get alcohol. We may see a time where there's some sort of uh, cannabis setup in Circle K's. Uh, now I'm talking long time down the road. You know, you go to you go to Vegas, you can buy CBD at a mall kiosk. So there may be a time where there's like a real combination of, of these two things. That's it's kind of interesting to look really distant pie in the sky in the future right now with this stuff.
2: Hmm. You know, it's interesting. In Quebec, um, you can actually go into. A Couchard or a Circle K, and and pick up alcohol, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of fascinating when you compare Quebec's alcohol laws to its cannabis laws. They're <laughs> uh, they're like night and day in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, no kidding. I was there, covering the Memorial Cup um, for the for the Edmonton Oil Kings, and we literally went into a convenience store and bought beer. And uh, now when I think about how strict their cannabis laws are, it's uh, it's just uh, seems just so hypocritical, but. That's the way it is, yeah. and, uh, you know, maybe that will change over time, like a lot of things. Uh, something that unfortunately is not changing is uh, layoffs continuing in the cannabis space, and we're talking about Aurora again.
2: Quite the run for Aurora, not in the right direction. Um, so the edmonton based company has recently told the Canadian press that it's reorganizing its European operations now. So it's been struggling in Canada, and uh, now it looks like the struggle continues on a more global scale they're saying that they're uh, going to be laying off about a quarter of uh, their workforce in uh, some countries and also a regional office now uh, this decision seems to be part of the restructuring that aurora announced earlier this year so that uh that brings it up to more than a thousand aurora employees who have been laid off um and more than five aurora sites closing so not good news there um Strangely, the company does say that it's going to fully acquire its uh, Aurora Nordic cannabis facility in uh, Denmark. So it's expecting to increase operations there over the next 12 months to meet demand in the European medical cannabis market. Um, so yeah, here we are seeing another big company making a pivot, um, you know, trying to read the market and trying to adjust its operations to, to, to go where it fits and where it makes sense. So we'll
1: see how that all plays out over the next few months and years. This is, uh, this story is is bizarre to me. I mean, it's sad because over a thousand employees, like a thousand. I don't think people realize that who have jobs, what that means for a thousand people to suddenly be wondering about their income, especially in, in this time when really not a lot Mm -hmm. of people are hiring and, and five sites to be closed and yet then they're, acquiring something to try and take advantage of the european medical cannabis market which i i know is burgeoning but it's like okay now we we made a bunch of mistakes in canada in the rec market by probably going too big too fast now we're going to try to prop things up by diving into the european market it it, it just from from an outside and I, and I don't have any information on this it just seems like it's almost like a panic panicking a panic move
2: yeah, I I don't know. It's always uh, it's always tough to speculate on these kinds of moves, and you know you don't you don't always want to show weakness. Uh, you want to show some form of strength, some mm-hmm. form of adaptation, and perhaps that's what we're seeing here.
1: Well, yeah, and there's a lot of companies that should be panicking right now because uh, you know there's some companies that are in trouble and have to make these. Unfortunate moves. Um, well, we're going to see major league baseball tomorrow. Uh, that starts up, uh, with a 60 game season and shortly we're, we're going to see the NHL and of course the NBA in their little strange bubble in, uh, is <laughs> in Florida. Um, this it, uh, I think it's the Disney campus they're at. And this <laughs> is such an interesting story because for the NBA to say, we're not going to test for recreational drugs. Is basically they're just nudge nudge, wink wink to allow their players <laughs> to bring in as much weed as they want.
2: There's quite the culture in the NBA. It's pretty fascinating. And Netflix came out with their "The Last Dance" documentary, and in it, to Michael Jordan, talks about him coming from a small town and into uh, into the NBA, where he's struck with this party culture, um, and it's it's sort of a taboo topic that no one will really. Say out loud. Um, there's one agent that uh, that the athletic talked to who said that it's like Fight Club. Yeah. No one talks about it. Um, but they they had a bit of a funny take on this and uh, tried to try to figure out just how long a pound of pot would last each player. Uh, and uh, according to them, they they figure that uh, you know between the minimum of 40 days to the maximum of 82 days that these players are going to be in this playoff bubble. That yeah, a pound should more or less about do it. <laughs> two times <laughs> two, two, two a day. That seems like a lot to me, but especially if you're trying to keep peak performance. Yeah, maybe a tougher question in, in all this uh, is how you sneak it all in there. And uh, you, again, one of the agents was saying that uh, it's, it's going to be in everything. People are going to be putting in, in their uh, backpacks and in their running shoes <laughs> and in their training equipment um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how this happens. It's nice to see some normalization happening. Um, you know, they're not going to be testing for cannabis and that's great. Uh, just like they wouldn't test for alcohol. Mm-hmm. It, sometimes you just need to be able to unwind. And that seems to be the thinking here. Uh, you know, when they're free time, uh, at this uh, Disney world properties, NBA bubble, um, they can golf and they can fish and they can play video games or, or cards with their teammates. Um, you know, but to sometimes to fight that boredom and to fight that frustration and just let things go, uh, it's important to be able to, uh, you know, to puff on a spliff or you, however you're going to unwind. Um, and you know, I, it's funny because Al Harrington, the NBA veteran who uh, who's reinvented himself as a cannabis entrepreneur, so he he told the Athletic that uh, that these players are of the mindset that they're going to bring more than they need. Mm. <laughs> They've got uh, that teammate who maybe has never smoked and might, might want to try it because they're stuck in a bubble. So it's, it's being talked about. And, you know, uh, as Harrington says, the big thing here is is that from a mental wellness standpoint, um, you know, sometimes people need vices, especially in COVID-19, especially in this isolation. And if you have to choose between your team taking pills, um, you know, or, or doing other kinds of drugs, Uh, hard liquor, for example, even, you know, can really dehydrate a player and take them off their peak, that maybe cannabis
1: ain't such a bad idea. Well, this is uh, so fascinating in a good way um, in that for a lot of players, like, listen, uh, I've read stories of guys that said they smoked pot or whatever, used cannabis in whatever way every day while they played in the NFL, even on game days, even, you know, there are, there are players out there that I'm not saying that that's happening a lot, but there are a couple of players out there that will use this cannabis as, um, you know, for, for some of the physical injuries that they have. And, and maybe it's not a, a joint or a blunt, or maybe it's an edible or whatever, but I think there's a lot of smart guys out there that realize the benefits and, and don't kid yourself though, the pros out there that are pros at cannabis, they're going to have all their stuff vacuum packed before they got in there. So they don't even have to sneak (laughs) it in. It'll be taken care of in their luggage. But I, I really think from a mental health perspective and a physical health perspective, cannabis will play a role in a lot of players lives. I mean, the amount of CFL football players that I've talked to that have told me they couldn't have got through their career without cannabis or it would have been opiates. Mm-hmm. Right. So there'll be a lot of NBA players that'll use this to help physical ailments as well.
2: Yeah, it's true. Sports stars have really been on the front lines uh, in normalizing cannabis. And it's good to see people using their influence to, to show that this is uh, that's something important um, that we need to remove the
1: stigma from. You betcha. All right. Uh, this is such a great story. And, uh, it, it, it's it's a story about cannabis having the potential to kill cancer cells. And we've heard a lot of anecdotal evidence over the years about cancer and, and cannabis and how cannabis has helped so many people. If you watch the documentary, weed the people, it is simply amazing. And now we are starting to see actual Uh, research showing up uh, because of legalization, because of other things. And, and this is an interesting story.
2: Yeah, it it sure, sure is. There's nothing like a personal link um, that will help somebody and drive somebody into doing um, their most focused and best work. Uh, And for Dr. Matt Dunn, he uh, has a, had a young daughter who was diagnosed with an aggressive form of bra- deadly brain uh, stem cancer. So she actually died uh, late last year after a 22 month battle. And for him, he, he pivoted from his research um, to try and find something that might be helpful in, in his own family fight. And, uh, you know, for a long time now, Uh, at least here in Canada, cannabis has been recognized as part of the cancer treatment. Uh, It's been a painkiller, it's been an appetite stimulant, and in a lot of different ways has helped patients through chemotherapy. So this new research by Dr. Matt Dunn out of uh, the University of Newcastle and Hunter Medical Research Institute, that's in Australia, found that cannabis can have a much more significant role to play. And laboratory tests, have shown in his research that a modified form of medical uh, medicinal cannabis can kill or inhibit cancer cells without impacting normal cells Um, and you know that does reveal its potential as a treatment rather than just simply relief so he's collaborated with a um, biotech company called Australian Natural Therapeutics Group And uh, they produce a cannabis variety that contains less than 1% THC, which is often quite important when it comes to these medical uses. Um, And it's very high in CBD. Patients don't necessarily want the psychoactive effect, um, but do, of course, want the health effects. This plant is known as Eve. And uh, personally, I find it really interesting that we're we're naming these kinds of cannabis strains. We've seen it with Charlotte's web
4: mm-hmm.
2: um and now with eve I, and i think that that's actually a really important thing to do is to personalize the plant and to help people um see it and personify it as you know as a, as a, a healthy option as a as something that's just more than um you know going, coming through reefer badness on the other side There's a lot of work that needs to be done. We're just talking about the NBA in fighting stigma and starting to give the cannabis plant its place um, as as something more than than dangerous or deadly or whatever craziness has been spouted out there and and really personalize it. So this plant that they've called uh, Eve is is really um, really going to shift the focus into seeing just how far cannabis can go. And the treatment of cancer. So we'll be watching very closely as that work continues on out there. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed. And, of course, such a such a sad side to this um, to see somebody lose someone close to them. And, um, you know, all sympathies, especially with kids myself, it's, it's hard to even fathom um, what that would be like. So all of our best uh, toward that.
1: Yeah, it's such great uh, Yeoman's work that you know, and, and and you're right. When when you're spurred on by something, and unfortunately uh, Charlotte, who uh, Charlotte's Web was named after, also uh, passed away recently. And and you know, I, I can tell you firsthand, my wife has uh, dealt with cancer twice, and and we used uh, cannabis oil on on um, a, a, a sarcoma that she had uh, on her back, and. Uh, It's, it, 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 I truly believe it made a difference. I wish, I wish I would have known about cannabis when my mom was dealing with it, unfortunately passed away in 1994, but it, back then it was, you know, a blip on the radar, right. And here we are now Mm -hmm. so far advanced and, and I can only hope that, uh, you know, through different people and, and trials and experimentation and research, we can get to the point where doctors are comfortable prescribing this.
2: Absolutely. Even for so long, this plant has been dehumanized, and people who partake in cannabis, who use cannabis for, for different reasons, have been dehumanized. And that really needs to change, and it really is, um, because this is, in a lot of ways, we have so much untapped potential uh, in this wonderful, wonderful cannabis plant.
1: Great stuff as always, David. You can find uh, David at uh, Wiley Writer on Twitter at OkanaganZ as well. And check out OkanaganZ.com slash O-Z. Thanks very much, man. Good talking.
0: This is the Cannabis 101 Podcast your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond.
1: I want to tell you about the Cannabis and Hemp Expo, October 3rd and 4th at the Edmonton Expo Centre. We'll be there. We'll have a booth and we'll be set up doing some recordings with some of uh, the other uh, presenters and, uh, maybe some of the speakers and even you, if you want to come down and uh, say hello and be a part of the podcast, uh, love to meet the people who listen to this show. You can get more information at www.cannabishempexpo.com. Uh, the cannabis one one podcast will be on location.
5: You got a joint? Uh,
2: no, not on me, man. <laughs> It'd be a lot cooler if you did.
0: Time now for Cannabis Characters. Dope is
3: dope I've ever smoked.
0: Celebrating the best from fictional 420 films.
3: Hey, I am your stoner. <laughs>
0: and beyond.
6: That's the I with that, man.
0: Uh, is it heavy stuff, man? <laughs>
1: Today, we're doing a pretty classic character, David Wooderson, played by Matthew McConaughey in Dazed and Confused. All right, all right, all right. Now, this is the the character is for sure a dirtbag, and uh, I'm not celebrating dirtbags, but I am celebrating the fact that McConaughey uh, played this character to a T. He talks about high school girls while being out of school for a few years. Um, and the interesting thing about this character is how McConaughey got the role. The director, Richard Linklater thought he was too good looking for the part. And then he said, McConaughey basically said, listen, I know this character. I grew up with these characters in Texas and, uh, showed up, uh, for the audition killed it looking like a greasy kind of dirt bag. And this was the, the kind of the line, the scene, the the thing that, uh, put him over the hump.
5: You got a joint.
1: Uh, no, not on me, man. (laughs) It'd be a lot cooler if you did. And then I guess they were just like, yeah, you're the guy. So uh, Matthew McConaughey, David Wooderson. L-I-V-I-N. In uh, Dazed and Confused is our cannabis character today.
0: What's that strain? Let's find out with Chris Ionson, Nova Cannabis store manager and educator.
1: Our educator on the Cannabis 101 podcast, Chris Ianson of Nova Cannabis, Jasper Ave, joins us as usual for What's That Strain, joining us on the phone, having a little technical problem here in the studio. So thanks for accommodating and uh, joining me on the phone here, Chris. Yeah, no worries, Dean. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Uh, we are doing Granddaddy Purple. Uh, pick this up using the Click and Collect. Uh, easiest thing out there. You use the Leafly website. You pre-order. You show up. You literally clicked. You grab your stuff, and you go. It's easy for me, and it's uh, it's so much easier for you guys as well, isn't it, Chris?
6: Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, and I think the the important thing too is that we're you know limiting uh, time spent in store. We're just trying to uh, do what we can here, and uh, definitely uh, has helped with uh, just shorter time in the store, where you can peruse our menu from home instead of checking out the the menu walls.
1: And I love it. I just love that I can look and be like, okay, this store has this, or this store doesn't have this, but this one does. So I'm not driving from store to store. I'm literally finding out online before I go. So use Click and Collect to pick up what you need at your favorite Nova Cannabis store and use the Leafly website to do it. So we're doing Granddaddy Purple, which is an indica, and uh, this is from 48 North. Uh, So tell us a little bit about uh, 48 North. I absolutely love the name 48 North, but tell us about them.
6: Yeah, for sure. So, um, they were a company. They were founded in uh, 2010. Uh, they're on the East coast of Canada. Um, their headquarters is currently in Toronto. Uh, and, uh, and they operate, uh, two indoor licensed cannabis production sites in Ontario, uh, with more than 86,000 square feet of production capacity. So, uh, pretty big players. Nice. Um, uh, and they, uh, so they got the two, two main facilities. Uh, the first one is the Delshen facility and that's located in Kirkland Lake, Ontario. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a 40,000 square foot facility uh, with a focus on cultivation of high quality cannabis and producing extract cannabis oils. Uh, and then their, their second uh, uh, facility um, is the, uh, the Goodhouse facility, and that's a 46,000 square foot uh, full-time propagation processing and packaging facility. Uh, it's located on uh, five acres of land in Brantford, Ontario.
1: All right. So, so those you, are their. You would call that one maybe the. They should call it the Great House, seeing as it's from Brantford, Ontario, home of the Great One.
6: Ah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ah, this is a great point, man. I mean, yeah, <laughs> the Great House.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
6: they yeah, also no uh,
1: they also have uh, some some outdoor facilities as well as those two massive indoor facilities.
6: Yeah, that's right. So they got, they've got the Good Farm uh, out, outdoor facility. It's uh, it's one of the uh, one of the first and one of the largest outdoor cannabis facilities in Canada. Um, it's uh, a Health Canada licensed 100 acre uh, organic farm, uh, and it's yeah sun grown cannabis. Uh, it's uh, pretty cool, and it's just down the street from their Good House facility too, which is kind of neat.
1: That is pretty cool, and they made a, a bit of an announcement uh, just recently in June.
6: Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, yeah, actually, actually within, uh, in March, uh, Dean, uh, in Mar- March 9th of 2020, they, uh, they had a, a CEO change up, uh, which was kind of a big shocker. Uh, Allison Gordon, uh, their CEO of three years. Um, and she was, uh, you know, one of, one of the few female uh, CEOs in the cannabis industry. She was quite, quite a trailblazer. Uh, it's kind of a shame that she's, she's out, uh, but yeah, you know, I'm sure the the shareholders and the you know the the board of directors at 48 North, uh, and potentially uh, you know there wasn't really a, any reasons given on, on the leaves. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure that uh, we'll see her up popping up again uh, as she was uh, you know a big player in the game. So you know, uh, kind of a shame though. Um, and and also with that, I mean, we we've had a lot of the larger producers now, uh, like just just this year, have, have mm. replaced a lot of their CEOs. There's been a lot of uh, movement happening, uh, within those companies. So it's kind of, it's a, it's a tough time to be on top right now.
1: Well, and, and, and you mentioned the, these people and, and, um, you know, uh, particularly Allison are trailblazers, uh, and they're like the, the, the pioneers, the first wave that did a lot of the heavy lifting for the next person to come in. So, you know, uh, a lot of these people are going to probably resurface, uh, in a different role and, you know, uh, kudos to them for getting the, the, uh, I guess the industry off the ground and, you know, um, you know, unfortunately mm-hmm. they're, they're no longer with those said companies, but I think they'll, they'll resurface at some point. So I, I like the, uh, I like the, uh, 48 North, um, I guess, uh, repertoire, particularly granddaddy purple, uh, by, uh, 48 North. So let's talk a little bit about granddaddy purple or granddaddy Purps of, uh, some people call it, uh, give us the background on this. Um, I'm going to say ultra popular Indica strain.
6: Yeah. Yeah. I t- I think Ultra Pulse. That's, that's good. <laughs> uh, definitely. So Granddaddy Purple, uh, a.k.a. Granddaddy Purps, a.k.a. GDP. Uh, one of the most popular indica strains on the West coast. Uh, uh, it's a big, big strain in California. Um, it was created in 2003 by Ken Estes, uh, the medicine man uh, in the San Francisco Bay area. Uh, now Ken and his team sought out to create the, you know, the, ultimate indica hybrid by uh merging uh two really cool genetics uh purple urkel uh and that kind of gives it uh uh, the grapey kind of fruity flavor uh Mm. and then big bud so purple urkel crossed with big bud uh gives us the granddaddy perps and big bud's known for just producing uh larger yields with their crops and uh also really nice body effects so uh Pretty, pretty cool story with the genetics there on GDP. Um, and, and even Ken Estes himself is a pretty interesting story. Um, he's a legend in the industry. He's a, a cannabis cultivator and a celebrated breeder. Uh, he's best known for developing GDP. Uh, he's also, uh, the guy behind Candyland. Um, oh. a, quite a popular sativa that's out there. Yeah. Um, they, they call it, uh, Granddaddy Candyland. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. And so, and we've seen Candyland in, in the rec market. So it's kind of cool to see that Ken Estes, you know, some of his other strains are out there. Um, yeah, he was, um, he was turned on to the medical benefits of cannabis, uh, after he had a, a motorcycle accident when he was a, a teenager, uh, and it left him paralyzed from the waist down. And, uh, you know, so he was in, in a wheelchair and he was, uh, you know, at the hospital, you know, doing the rehab and stuff. And they were giving him a bunch of pharmaceutical meds. Uh, to try and help him with his ailment. And it wasn't helping. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't eating. There was still a lot of pain. Uh, and then a, uh, some Vietnam vets were like, hey, man, try smoking this. Um, <laughs> and he did. And, and it helped. And he he had an appetite. And um, he could sleep. And, uh, you know, he felt a lot better about things. So uh, he really kind of deep dove in, into cannabis for, uh, from there. And, uh, yeah, he's a, a legend.
1: Wow. it's And you know what? That's just uh, uh, right there in that small story shows the power of of cannabis and how you know it can replace opiates and and I know you guys are recreational cannabis and you guys are not uh, giving medical advice but this is a great story of. This particular person that was able to substitute opiates for cannabis and then, you know, fell in love with it and gave us one of the, the greatest, uh, strains that is out there, which is a, a, also an interesting story, how he actually came up with GDP.
6: Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so, uh, I did a bit of research and some deep diving, uh, and, and kind of, you know, found a little bit of info on the, the creation and the evolution of it. Um, And so I'm going to read kind of like a a quote from from Ken Estes uh, uh, about it. Uh, He says, uh, GDP was was given to me by one of my good Native American friends from the Blackfoot tribe, and he got it from the Pomo tribe, from their medicine man. They did not have a name for it. It was an 18-year-old variety, and they used it for their ceremonies. It was not a big producer, and it was dark as midnight, and I had not seen anything like this before. The smell was overwhelming. Uh, muskiness and it reminded me of the good smell of that tie stick that I had and loved in the 70s so I brought it to my club in Oakland uh, and I put it on the shelves and I called it granddaddy Perks. and people would ask what's wrong with this marijuana why does it look like this that color looks too dark and they, they all thought it was bad they'd never seen that much purple before uh, and it was the most beautiful vibrant purple I had ever seen So I gave my patients a money-back guarantee, stating that if it wasn't good for them, please bring it back to me, and I would refund them or trade for another strain. Not one person ever brought back any any of the GDP. Um, I saw how patients raved about it, and that is when I knew I had something special. It is by far uh, the best purple I've ever had, and... And that is when I asked for a cutting of it. And so uh, his friend there from the uh, from the Blackfoot tribe gave him a cutting. Uh, he took it to Humboldt. Uh, the demand grew over time and pretty soon everybody was growing with it and everybody wanted it. Uh, and then I started making uh, entering cups and winning them with it. I started crossing it and then I began making new crosses and those strains won cups. It has become so popular that it's been in movies. It was on an episode of Weeds. It became a favorite of celebrities and rappers such as Snoop Dogg. So it's uh, that's, that's a quote right there from, from Ken as the guy that created um, it. I love the fact that he mentions that money-back guarantee, yeah. you know?
1: stands by his product and and I love where it came from uh, it comes from a, a native american tribe that used it for ceremonies so it 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 shows yeah. you how far back in time in cannabis or or you know in in hemp they used a lot of for hemp rope uh, has been used mm-hmm. uh, you know within society so what a great story and obviously uh, the medicine man. I absolutely love that nickname. Uh, cannabis nicknames yeah. are so cool, man. That, that's so cool. <laughs> all right, so let, yeah. let's talk about uh, a little bit about uh, the the well, first of all, the website is forty uh, eight northcom dot com, but it's www48 dot n r. TH they decided to drop the O uh, so it's 48 north without the O uh .com uh, that's where you can uh, find out more great information about this company that started out east and uh you know this batch in particular that we have is coming in at uh, 17.5% THC so that's pretty mid-range would you say Yeah I think that's a mid-range THC for sure all right. Uh, oh, w- oh, what do you think about uh, when we when we talk about what's in a name? Sometimes we're really racking our brains for this one. Uh, it's not uh, you know it, it, when, when when it's not hard because of the, the the color purple, but I love the granddaddy, and and I think you kind of just you spoke about how impressed Ken Estes was of this uh, this kind of this strain, and maybe that's where the granddaddy came from because he was just blown away by it.
6: Yeah, it was the granddaddy of all the purple strings.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so, I love it.
6: Yeah, I just, it rolls off the tongue nicely too.
1: <laughs> yeah, Granddaddy Purple is the name. So let's talk about the look. First of all, the packaging, absolutely love it. I think 48 North mm-hmm. is uh, is knocking it out of the park with this kind of recyclable paper pouch.
6: Yeah, uh, it's great. Uh, easy to open too. They've got the little yes. slit on the back. You can't miss it. Um, yeah, big big fan of their packaging too, and and just the I th- I feel like the look of it, even the, the the sticker that's on the pouch is real sharp and simple design.
1: Yeah, yeah for well, me. Even even you, you the look of their website has that uh, you know that eco friendly feel, and and this just feels like it. Like I I you know I think we've talked about this before. It kind of reminds me of like of almost like a cottage feel. Yeah, yeah, definitely, Dean. Well said. Okay, so when we open this up and we take a look at it to. First of all, giant bud, man! Like the, the the one bud that I had in this is huge, and um, it's got some nice colors to it.
6: Yeah, definitely. Um, I was super pleased uh, when I, when I picked it up here. It's pretty pretty new to the market. We like we've seen the pre rolls uh, for a bit, but we haven't seen a three point five bag here in Alberta. So I've only had it for a couple of weeks now, but I've already picked up quite a few three of the three point fives. It's one of my favorites, though. Uh, light green buds with uh, purple flecks, um, really tight nugs too. Like they're dense. Um, and w- the one thing that I, I got excited about as soon as I cracked it was the heavy dusting of of white crystals. It's a very frosty mm-hmm.
1: uh, looking buds and well trimmed too. Yeah. Uh, good job on the yeah. uh, on the uh, totally. the trim job. You know there there's some. Uh, uh, cannabis, And I, I've sent you pictures of some of the cannabis I've picked up, not from Nova Cannabis, I should say, but some other places where it looked like it was trimmed with a butter knife. This is a really nice <laughs> trim job. So uh, bravo to 48 yeah. North on that. What about the uh, terpene profile? What are we looking at with the terpene profile?
6: Yeah, so the the three uh, main uh, terpenes to Granddaddy Perks here is uh, pinene is, is the top one, and that's going to provide that piney aroma uh nerolideol is the second one and that that can be kind of a woodsy flavor mm. also a bit of fruitiness too uh i, I feel like with the grandadi purce it's going to be a bit more on the fruity side uh and then the third terpene is
1: your phase uh the uh, black pepper and kind
6: of spicy flavor
1: yeah, and and mixed with that uh, sort of fruity uh, grape f- sort of flavor is uh, it's dynamite. I I uh, I really like the uh, that sort of flavoring that comes in, and that uh, narrow lidol, That's a, a fairly um, a newer one for us. We haven't done that. I know we've done that a couple of times, but not the most common yeah. uh, terpene out there.
6: Yeah, that's right. It's a bit a bit more rare, um, but it's it's neat to see and uh it it's definitely showed up in in a lot of streams that I like. So,
1: um, yeah. Good, good to see it here in the GDP. How about the the uh, smell? What did you get uh, whiffs of when you opened this up?
6: Uh so it's, it's kind of like uh bitter and sweet. Um, and there's uh, a little bit of uh, grassy and and hoppy to it. So it's kind of like uh it's it smells nice. Um, but yeah, it's uh definitely on the on the sweet side
1: um, it's appetizing yeah it's like uh I, I get i definitely get that uh uh i don't know if it's sweet grass but that hoppy grassy uh smell to it for sure uh when, mm-hmm. when you uh open it up all right so we've uh, talked about the look uh, we talked about the terpenes uh, we'll get to the three W's and the taste test, but what about the desired effect? We should point out everybody does react differently to cannabis, but uh, what's the general desired effect when you're looking at granddaddy perps? Uh,
6: well, it's, it's definitely a very relaxing smoke. That's kind of the, the big one for me. It's a super chill strain of cannabis. Um, it's kind of a, a fusion of cerebral euphoria and, and physical relaxation kind of mixed together. Um definitely will put a smile on your face. Uh, it's a mood enhancer for me. Um, ever since I, you know, legalization and seeing GDP in the market, I, I picked it up the first, the first time I got it was from Riff on their subway scientists, but like, uh, that was a home run for me. It was amazing. I remember just commenting to myself, like, why are you smiling so much, bud? Like <laughs> take it easy. But I just like put me in a really good mood. Um, and, and while your thoughts may float in like a, a dreamy buzz with it's super nice in the head uh your body is is more likely to find itself uh stuck in one place so it's uh pretty chill so uh, you know get ready to hit the couch uh you're going to be pretty relaxed uh like i wouldn't uh, i don't think uh, gdp is a good strength to like you know smoke some gdp and go play a soccer game you know? <laughs> no but kidding. uh yeah, it's definitely a relaxing strain, uh, which I feel like that's a big part of cannabis for me is I, I want to, you know, blaze a joint and, and get my chill on um,
2: most of the time.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, super chill. An Indica yeah. for Indicouch, uh, that's for sure. No doubt. And that leads us to the three W's. Who, what, and when is this good for? So, let's start with a who.
6: So, the who uh, okay. is good for intermediate smokers. Uh, I'm going to say it's a bit too potent for beginners. Um, yeah, coming in at seventeen five. I mean, yeah. a beginner just might 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 hit it and just you know take a nap and, and stuff because it is just a, a nice chill indica versus you know a seventeen percent sativa. Yeah. Um, uh, but I also think for for the who uh, medical users uh, now this this isn't something I uh, you know would, would talk about it in the store because we're recreational. But um, you can't look up GDP without um, seeing all these medicinal. Benefits to the strain that uh, you know come from testimonials, you know, from people that are that use use it uh, consistently. So uh, I think that uh, that's worth mentioning for sure.
1: Exactly, yeah, and, and mention that you guys are strictly uh, recreational. But mm-hmm. what I found that too when you're doing research on GDP, uh, it pops up with. Uh, you know, the first thing that usually pops up is some of the medicinal uses. So, you know, it has been used on that side, just like last week, as we talked about uh, some of these strains are, you know, listed for, you know, different ailments and, and uh, there's a ton of stuff that you can find uh, that people have used and there's no, uh, you know, the, the, the research is being done, but you know, people's experiences for for their, specific um, medical situations and why they use GDP is out there enormously uh, online. So a lot of anecdotal evidence. How about the, what, what is this good for?
6: Um, It is good for chillaxing Uh, movies on the couch, preferably funny ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think taking it easy um, and and feeling great. It is really good for feeling great in my opinion.
1: (laughs) Awesome. And that would probably leave the when to, uh, you know, after your day is done. Yeah,
6: yeah, I think so. It's more of an evening strain after dinner. Uh, if, if you're feeling a little bit overworked or or you're you know had a long day, um, I think that's that's when GDP is going to be uh, good for. I mean, you can you got a day off and you want to have a chill day. I mean, you sure. can definitely wake up and GDP. It. Um, just you might you might take a little chill nap.
1: Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, and that's cool too. This is a good hammock strain. Uh, if you have nothing to do and you have a hammock, <laughs> yeah. light this up and go chill in the hammock. All right. I'm going to light this up in the uh, hexosaurus rex right now. So tell our listeners what they can expect as far as tastes. Yeah. So definitely, uh,
4: sweet and
6: fruity, um, uh, got kind of like a grape berry flavor to it. Um, little, little touches of a pine kind of mixed in with that. Um, uh, and a very very smooth smoke uh that was kind of the big 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 thing for me uh, when i first tried the 48 north version of it um very smooth not a lot of like tickle at, in the sort at all it just it goes down nice
1: purple grapes that's uh the yeah. the, the berry grape taste that uh, instantly uh <laughs> hopped out or, or um you know popped out at me right away it was like wow it's just uh, it's like uh, some hubba bubba berry gum, berry grape <laughs> gum, or something like that. So, I, I like yeah. that, uh, and I also like the uh, you know late in the evening. If you had a hard day, this is really going to allow you to. Uh, it's going to force you to relax. So, uh, I like mm-hmm. that part about it. Uh, yeah, I, I like the taste, and um, there's a there's kind of an earthy uh, sort of uh, something else in there too, right? Like uh, I don't know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Like so it's it's fruity, um, and there's got a there's a little bit of a uh, I don't know. Maybe that, that the pining, right? Uh, maybe that's what I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah, around. like I,
6: I kind of got like that that wood, like earthy woodsy. That's it. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And so would that um, be like the I, the narrow probably? That yeah, I feel like the narrow and the pinene, um will kind of contribute to that.
6: Right. Um, yeah, and it could also be. I mean, the combination too of you know these these terpenes working together can also kind of mix it up a bit. Um, yeah, definitely got that, that purple taste. If, if colors had a taste, yes. no kidding.
1: It definitely <laughs> it tastes does. like purple. It tastes like a, a purple grape. That's that's the only thing I can put my mind on. So this is yeah. granddaddy purple, uh, an indica great story behind it. Ken asked the medicine man, uh, love how he uh, received it from a native American friend from the Blackfoot tribe. It's a beautiful legendary indica strain from 48 North, a lineage of purple Urkel and and big bud coming in at 17 and a half percent. And I grabbed this using click and collect at Nova Cannabis on Jasper Ave, where you can find my good friend, Chris Ionson. And he is of course our educator. This was a fun one and a legendary one. Chris, thanks so much for joining me once again. Yeah, for sure Dean, thanks for having me.
0: This is the business of cannabis, a joint venture between the Green Generation Co. and the Cannabis 101 podcast. Bringing you the latest Bud, Biz, Buzz.
1: Malka LaBelle from the Green Generation Co. joins us once again on the Cannabis 101 podcast. You can find more information of how she can help you Go green at uh, www.greengencompany.com and uh, Melka. It is uh, great to chat with you again, and I really love this topic uh, that we're discussing. It, uh, it it's something that I think uh, should uh, strike a nerve with a lot of people across the cannabis industry. And you're asking the question: Why is the Ontario government sabotaging the cannabis industry?
3: Yeah, and those are strong but I think very accurate words. Um there has been uh so much back and forth political football, um, and and it's like no there's no winners. Like I don't know who would I mean, maybe the is a conspiracy kind of concept, but what's happening right now is that there has been the Ontario government has gone back and forth on how they want to um and, and allow what what the cannabis retailers are allowed to do. Um, and the can- cannabis industry just wants to be treated like every other industry in Canada, like regulated or or not. They just want the same rights <laughs> as everybody else. And the, the Ontario government is like, here, we'll give you a little bit, and then we're going to take it all away. And then we're going to give you a little bit, and then we're going to take it all away. And, and what I'm talking about specifically is there was a letter uh, went, that went out, and this is in response to what the Ontario government chose to do, um, which is they decided, you know, in COVID times, uh, cannabis retailers were are considered in, in Canada as, a, uh, as an essential service. So they were allowed to stay open. The retail stores were allowed to stay open. But in Ontario, there, there aren't that many stores. So the uh, Ontario government allowed the Ontario retailers to also offer both curbside pickup, which is available everywhere else in the country from cannabis retailers, but also allow for delivery from these stores, just to service a bigger market, um, which I thought was genius, an amazing leap forward for the cannabis industry um, to be sort of allowed to have a normal e-commerce business, you know, online shopping, shopping cart delivered to your house. But now they want to retract that. They think that the pandemic has somehow lessened the impact of people going to stores, which it has only made things worse, right, as things are opening up. So there was a letter that was written on behalf of the Cannabis Industry Association, um, and several different groups, um, you know, piled on to, to be included as, you know, uh, leaders of part of this letter. And um, it's, it's a voice to the Ontario government. And basically it's outlining, like, all of the harms that would be caused if um, Ontario government continues with the plan to not allow cannabis to have curbside delivery or uh, curbside pickup in Ontario. And the harms are framed in how the Ontario government and the citizens of Ontario are harmed, not the industry, uh, and the stupidity of it. Um, Some of the the harms that are mentioned are very quantified, like the loss of 13,000 jobs, uh, the, the estimated number of people that would lose their job because they wouldn't be allowed to Work in retail if they if the if the industry the government chose to not allow them to have delivery and and pickup um, as well as like almost a billion dollars of tax revenue wouldn't be realized by the uh, province for its citizens in COVID times. You know it's just ridiculous. And then the whole public safety concern is well if they're not allowed to pick it up or have it delivered from a store and they they don't want to go into a store because of covid issues like they are you know maintaining their social distancing and don't have the ability to to travel or whatever then there it's just going to go to the black market because black market delivers to your door in two hours or less so this is just like such a mind-boggler dean and i don't like what the heck
1: yeah I, the thing i don't get is um you know the one of the fastest growing demographics of cannabis is the senior demographic and that demographic is being told to stay home and be safe um uh, you know and 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 uh, almost uh, uh, especially if you have pre-existing conditions Uh, you know, self isolate and get a lot of your groceries delivered. Like my, my parent, my dad, he gets his groceries delivered right now because he has some health conditions that he doesn't want to go out to. Well, if cannabis delivery stops and my, my dad was a cannabis user, he's not, I wish he was, but if he was, he, then he's out of luck. He has to then decide, well, who do I get my cannabis from? And, and exactly like you said. The black market, the gray market, whatever you want to call it, they will deliver. They will knock on your door. They will hand it to you, and you you're done. If that goes away from the legal yeah. market, those guys get busier.
3: Exactly. Like it's not like I don't know what they're trying to achieve with this, which is why it's so, like, like I said before. Like I don't know who's being incentivized with this situation. Like what? Like how is this helping anybody? And, and further to that, I mean, another uh, on the same thread, Chad Finkelstein is a lawyer in Toronto he, uh, for cannabis and, and also, also restaurants and retail. I mean, his business has seen this massive amount of influx of these terrible situations that everybody's in. Um, he put out this post as like, you know, further to the flip-flop policies of the Interior government, um, it's, that it's like, you know, still happening years after, you know, cannabis sort of established itself we're still dealing with these things. But the, the store saturation issue of, of uh, cannabis stores in Ontario. So, if you know, if you're talking about a competitive situation, which retail stores are in day to day, you know, and every around them and online and everything, Ontario has this, you know, they opened up the market. The government said, here, you're allowed to have stores, private stores put in your application, but with completely blind visibility as to where are the other stores. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the, the alcohol world, in the world of Subway sandwiches, there's at least. Um, a radius situation, you know, where it's like you have a territory of 300 kilometers, 300 meters, whatever. There's some kind of metric. So as a store in an industry, you have somewhat of an, an, a, a way, even by looking at a Google map, to know what else is around you, right? And, and that has been completely blind for the people that are applying to stores, not because of their own choice, but because the government either isn't organized, doesn't have a system, or isn't disclosing where the other stores have already, you know, put in their applications for. And it's as simple as dropping a pin on a map, which, you know, anyone that's using Google can do. So that's what I mean. It's like it's in, as these retailers are just so frustrated. Like, they have been hit again and again and again, and and Ontario specifically has been the ones punishing them. And it's only the government and their tax base that is being harmed
1: here. I don't know what uh, the, the drawback to delivery would be for anything else. I mean, uh, restaurants during COVID in Alberta were allowed to deliver alcohol with their meals. So if you ordered uh, from Joe's uh, fish shack, he could get you a beer with that as well. And you can easily get bottle service uh, delivered to you. Why is uh, legal retail outlets not allowed to have the same sort of thing? You have to provide ID when you get alcohol. So just the same yeah. thing with cannabis, it makes no difference to me.
3: If anything the delivery to the door is better because at least then you match an address to a credit card billing situation like there's so many better protections in place you know if the person that's answering the door is expecting the delivery it's not a child like mm-hmm. you know there's all mm-hmm. of these different things that delivery to a door is better than having someone walk into a store with an anonymous face but you know I think I, I don't get it and and with the delivery of alcohol that's that's exactly what's happening in Ontario you're allowed they're allowed to deliver alcohol from restaurants but they can't deliver cannabis yeah like what what's And I think, I mean, my conspiracy is—I'm going to say it—is that the alcohol industry is lobbying lobbying the government with much bigger forces than the cannabis industry is, and that's what's happening. But I can't—I don't know that's true. I'm just—that's my—that's the only people that are set Mm -hmm. to gain here is the is the cannibalization of the of the alcohol industry.
1: Yeah, uh, something anyway. has to change uh, for sure. It's, it's just uh, it's a frustrating topic because, um, you know, you should be able to get it delivered. It's it just, uh, you know, I've been banging the drum that, um, you, you know, c- cannabis doesn't want, uh, ca- the cannabis industry doesn't want special treatment. They just want equal yeah. treatment. Uh, that's the, that's exactly. what it comes down to. Um, okay, let's get to change makers. Uh, who are we highlighting with change makers?
3: So this is a license producer that uh, recently um, um, I have seen in stores. I mean, I know they've been around for a, a bit, but this is the first time I've seen their product in store, and I'm just so friggin' impressed with their packaging and the product uh, form. And this is the pro- the company is the producer is called Ready Can, and their the product is the Redes R E D E E S, and these are their um, pre rolls. Super cool which come in this little box of, a, it's a 10-pack, uh, three and a half grams, so 0.35 grams per, uh, so a 10-pack of Pruros. It looks exactly like a cigarette pack. Um, it just has a bit more, it has a little thing to make it uh, child proof, which is quite a good uh, design actually of how they've done it. Um, so I'm obsessed with this product, not just because it's a good product, um, and the quality of the Red canvas, the strains that they have in it, they've uh, got God Bud, uh, they've got uh, Fishka they've got, um, what's the other one that I really like there? Um, White Widow, like some good classic strains, very, very nice uh, grow. But the cool part about it is that they, I feel, have really come above uh, go, above and beyond in the packaging part. So one of the biggest, um, you know, stains, black eyes, whatever, on the legal industry, even a reason why so many of the legacy and black, you know, people, the legacy growers are, just don't want to get involved is the, The processing and the packaging that has to go out there to the consumer is literally a whole boon in and of itself. But this package is extremely slim. It's like the size of half of a cigarette pack. It's quite small and slim and just has really efficient um, use of the um, child uh, protective. Like, you know, you need to do the, have to have two fingers on opposite sides and sort of push with another thing to get it open, which is a really good tamper thing. Um, And it's got these 10 little pre-rolls, which are, they're slim. So they look exactly like cigarettes. They look like really uh, skinny cigarettes with a super long filter, um, which is great. They're great for, they're great. So you don't have to share a blunt or a joint and you can have your own, but you're, you know, you're only consuming 3.35 grams in a, in one pre-roll. So it's like a perfect portion for, you know, going out for a smoke or, you know, for, and for me, like that's, you know, my time for, you know consuming cannabis is limited between between breaks of other things having a house and family and all that other stuff so I think it's perfect I love
1: it you know I just keep thinking when I first saw these and I'd had the uh, grab the Godbud uh, uh, strain uh, I just think Virginia slims for some reason yeah. like that that's what yeah. the, the they're, but they're so um uh, like you said, perfect as far as some people don't, there, there's a lot of people that can't smoke a whole joint, uh, whether it's a, yeah. a one gram or a 0.5 gram, but it, it is just almost like uh, it's a uh, somewhere in between a one hitter and a joint. And there's that kind of perfect, uh, m- maybe it is 0.35 grams uh, to be able to hit it. But I really like the sleek look of them. That's for sure.
3: Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of layers to the packaging, but it's really quite smart. Like, The outer package, which is the tamper-proof one, I mean, you can put other stuff in there. Like, it's a very good, and it's cardboard, so it's not super heavy like some of the other ones or these plastics, these poly, the plastics that have, like, the space in them for the sides, like, has slots. I don't know if you've seen those, but they're so hard to open, and it's, anyways, I don't like them at all. But this (laughs) thing, you could reuse the the, the cardboard on the outside, and, you know, put your own pre-rolls in it later. It's a perfect size for that, Mm. but the actual package that has the, the the pre rolls of them looks just like a cigarette packet, even down to the tinfoil on the top. So it's a very recognizable form for like I would say users that would want to potentially want to switch um, or try cannabis in the form that they're like to say like smoking things if they're a tobacco smoker. So I thought it was very clever, and they're not expensive at all. Like a twenty uh, for twenty bucks, you get your ten pre rolls mm-hmm. of three and a half grams. This is a really good deal. Um, yeah. So, and the, and the other cool thing I found out, so Redican is a medical uh, licensed producer, um, and you get the exact same product for medical as you do for recreational in the rec stores. It's just cheaper. So the same twenty gram box, I think it's twenty five in retail. Uh, for rec stores, but it's only 20 if you have a medical cannabis license, and it delivers directly to your door through Canada Post. Oh,
1: that's beautiful. And, And it's a good way, you know, when you go into rec stores, they are not allowed to give medical advice, so uh, you can check out uh, Redican and uh, you can maybe find out uh, some medical information if uh, that was what a person was looking for www.redican.ca that's R E D E C A N nca I'm a big fan of those, uh, they seem to just uh, fit that perfect Uh, size uh, for the person that uh, you know doesn't have a lot of time or just wants a you know a nice uh, you know doesn't want to smoke a a whole half gram of a joint all right let's get to what it means to be green and we're we're talking about healthy plants and and we all know that healthy plants are green for the most part
3: yeah it's kind of a no-brainer except that it's almost too stupidly simple to be to be cool so this is this is what i'm talking about so this is this is software so um, this, the, the why, why this came into my purview is one of my other clients that's not in the Canada space, but in the green space But I do work with a lot of companies that um, either they want to be in cannabis or have to do with that, and that's how this group initially started with me. Um, they're called Nextfarm, and they're an agri- agricultural technology software company. Um, very simple concept, but they're basically – they have like um, – They're using like NASA-style satellite imagery, so it's like super high-res cameras that are in on the satellites that are just taking pictures of the Earth all at the time. And they have the license and the algorithms that they built in there with their company to basically look at plant health. So what they do is is the the software itself. It's all just like um like it looks like um like. Heat sense, heat mapping. It's mm-hmm. like if you look at a heat map, hot red is hot, yellow is medium, and green is cool. Well, in this case, the green means the plants are healthy because it's capturing the nitrogen, the nitrogen uh, content in the soil, and the literally the it's literally measuring the chlorophyll coming off the green, healthy plants. And then from that, it you're able to they, they have some of the algorithms and the software essentially is able to calculate what kind of um, fertilizer is needed for the plants, and what kind of um, like water and irrigation you need. And and um, essentially allows people to plan out, you know, looking at it almost in real time. It's like, a, you know, every few days they get another photo. They can time-lapse their fields or their, their farms. We're looking at this right now with hemp clients, like industrial hemp growers, the, the industry that is really interested in this, because there isn't a lot of information about, how hemp grows, other than from farmers, like there's not a lot of data around it, you know, in the world, um, and it becoming it because of the new sort of um, very you know valuable crop, both for the cannabis industry to get CBD and for all of the other things we talked about the hemp is for. Mm-hmm. Um, this information is like gold, and and it's so obvious. Green means good. Green means the plants are healthy, and then you can literally quantify that from a data perspective to help plants that aren't healthy and, and how what to do about it like write a treatment plan for it so it's super
1: cool yeah it uh, it's it's it seems like uh, it allows uh, um, almost to not not predict but to pre-warn you of uh, certain possibilities that uh, of problems that that might be arising with your crop
3: Exactly. Because like, it's using this, this infrared um, technology, it allows you to look at the, m- the microbial level and cellular level of plants plant without the, the, na- the naked eye couldn't even see. So, for example, like you're looking at these, these photos and these images, like you wouldn't be able to tell if you walked up and look at, looked at mm-hmm. a plant if, there, if, the, if the roots were rotting because it had too much water. in, in the soil. You can't, it's hard to see that as, as a naked eye. usually farmers do like soil testing and they're testing all the time to see what's happening. But if you discover rot or pests on a plant, um, it's like you kind of have like nanoseconds to make a decision what to do, right? Like either you're treating it or your crop is essentially a write-off because it spreads very quickly. But this software allows you to see that before you can visually see it. So you get these aerial footage views and you can see Where the plant health is changing at a cellular level because it's going from green to yellow without even being able to go and see it at the visual level. But that allows you to make decisions and plan for fertilizing and water and all those things that could eventually, they could ultimately change the health of your plants much faster than you could do before. So that's where this technology is super impressive.
1: Yeah. Sometimes uh, when you discover a problem, it's too late. Uh, It's already too late. And uh, unfortunately, the growing season is not uh, crazy long, especially in in certain locales. So I like that. Uh, uh, What it means to be green is definitely healthy plants. And hopefully we'll have uh, the delivery of a good decision on cannabis delivery at some point uh, in the future as people maybe come to their senses. You can find more information on the Green Generation Co. at www.greengencompany.com. Malcolm Labelle from the Green Generation Co. on the business of cannabis. Thanks as always. Have a great week. Thanks, Dean. Bud, dope, flower, ganja, Mary Jane.
0: We all have our own language when it comes to cannabis.
1: Herb, John
4: Lennon, plant, Thai stick salad.
0: So let's explore another weed word of the day.
4: Samuel objects. The Hobbit's leaf. Lady Gaga. Four
1: twenty. Here's how we do it on Weed Word of the Day. We give you one slang word and one standard uh, terminology. Uh, that if you're new to cannabis and you want to know what people are talking about uh, when they say certain things, uh, we can help you out. Uh, the first one in the slang terminology is wake and bake. And uh, you might hear people say, oh, this strain is great for a wake and bake. And, and oh yeah, the, I love to wake and bake. Basically, it's what it sounds like. You wake up and you get baked. Uh, and now, uh, for some people, that might be rolling out of the bed and grabbing the bong. Um, I that's not for me, and you know, there there might be some people that they need to medicate right uh, as soon as they get out because of pain relief and and you know for getting out of the bed. So uh, more the power to them to help uh, ease whatever pain they can can do with cannabis. Uh, but for me, when I wake and bake, it's usually when I have uh, nothing going on. Uh, like a Saturday or a weekday, if I have nothing going on, uh, I'll get up, I'll have some coffee. What I like to do, I'll go out if it's summertime, go out on my little deck area and, and, you know, have a little bit of a morning wake and bake ritual that I do every time. So I absolutely love it when I have nothing on the go. It's just a great way to set the tone and have a nice relaxing day. Big, big time, uh, on camping trips and things like that. Uh, it's a big time, uh, it's almost a standard for me and uh the the standard term is one hitter and a lot of people use this for wake and bake because they just want that quick one hit to get their day started a one hitter is and we do one hitters with our guests what a one hitter is is when you basically get one hit off of it now the the ones that i've seen most part are the they look like cigarettes they're like the the Cigarette looking pipe. Uh, they come with a, what's called a dugout, a little wooden holder. You put your weed in you and it <laughs> sounds like that Saturday night live skit. And then basically you just press the one hitter pipe inside the long, uh, the long wood, uh, holder where it has the weed and it, it packs one hit of, uh, of cannabis. This is really good for people that just like a hit every once in a while. It's fairly discreet. Uh, and you can get one hitters of, of, of all sh- uh, shapes and sizes, basically anything where you can just pack kind of one hit in there, uh, one drag, you know, you're not going to be able to relight it and go through it. You're just getting one pull. is considered uh, for me a one hitter. That's going to wrap things up uh, for this week. Uh, big thanks to Chris Lavoie from Can Delta Consulting. Of course, David Wiley from the OZ. Join me for this week in cannabis news. Chris Ianson from Nova Cannabis, Jasper Av on What's That Strain. We did Granddaddy Purple from 48 North and Malcolm Label from the Green Generation Co. on the business of cannabis. Again, our cannabis question is what is your impact of what is uh, the COVID-19 impact been on your cannabis use? You can vote on that at the Cannabis 101 on Twitter, or you can just uh, simply send me an email at Cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. Uh, don't miss One Hitters with Chris Lavoie uh, next week as we ramp up for another Episode. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be a part of the show, if you think you'd make a good guest or an advertiser, simply hit me up at Cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. For all your podcast needs, whether it's uh, sports in general, the NHL draft uh, coming soon, a fantasy football or fantasy sports podcast, Check it all out at podcastalley.ca. We leave you with marijuana from the artist, My Dead Dog. Remember, it's not just about getting high, it's about getting healthy.